I'm so glad that you're here today as we're continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and I'm calling it True Grit. And today we're going to find ourselves in quite possibly one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You have heard this story. You have heard this story countless times. There may be some of you who are here like, uh, no, nah, like, uh, I don't come to church a lot. Trust me, you have heard of this one. In fact, I am so confident that you can finish the title of this sermon. Today it's the story of Shadrach. There you go. I mean, and Abednego, not and there you go. But it's, you got it. You know the story, Rack, Shack, and Benny? Anybody? No? All right. So in the, here's the thing. I have preached on this particular passage, Daniel 3 in the fiery furnace, countless times. But here is what uh, I know. The, the Bible, it, 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 like, a, like a mine of treasures, and the more you dig, it is inexhaustible in its riches. And as I prepared this message, once again, as always happens, God revealed even more of, of, of these gems, of these nuggets from Daniel 3. And so I want to uh, uh, share them with you. And, and I hope that the same is true for you. I hope that even if you've heard this, that today you hear it with some fresh ears and a fresh voice. Learning how to live as strangers and aliens in Babylon. It means from time to time, if you're going to be an alien and a stranger, living in a, a world that is not your home, right? America 2021, for a Christian, it's not our heart's true home you're going to have to face a little pushback from time to time. And how are you going to respond? Well, we're in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. The first thing you'll see in Daniel 3, 1 is that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, makes an idol of gold. Now, uh, we'll talk a little more in detail about what an idol is, an image. But I think that these first seven verses, one thing is abundantly clear. Listen for, count how many times, yeah, it's this idol. We're supposed to worship it. Uh, did it come from heaven? Did it drop out of the sky? Did it appear? No. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. He made it. Count how many times you, you see Nebuchadnezzar made or, or he set it up. The point through the whole Bible is idols can't save because they're man-made. How is something that you made going to save you. And so I think the writer dips his pen into the ink of sarcasm to drive home, you know, oh, this is a great idol. Really, Neb? Really? We watched you build it. All right, all right, here we go. Count how many times you hear he made it or he set it up. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. Z zither? I have no idea what a zither is. I have no idea what sound it makes. But I tell you this. If you're going to play in Dura, you've got to have a zither in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not for Babylonian man. Lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. You whoa, says here, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. Da, 
that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Imagine a a long uh, tunnel. This is what they would use to make bricks. So you take the raw material and heat it. Uh, 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 Obviously designed for bricks. But if you don't worship this image, it'll be designed for you. Thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, verse 7, quite naturally, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I don't think anybody could miss here what's going on. Look, this is an idol, and yet, there's several things I want you to notice. First, Notice that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made it. It's not an accident. It was an image of gold. The whole thing, image of gold. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. So the whole thing's gold. Why was that so important to Nebuchadnezzar? Anybody here last week? Anybody read Daniel chapter 2? Remember his dream? What terrified Nebuchadnezzar? What terrified Nebuchadnezzar was the dream of a tall statue. I don't know, maybe something like 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, for example. And what was the problem with this statue? What terrified him? Because only the head was gold. The head and the chest, sure, was gold. But after that was another material. And after that was bronze. And after that, you know, was iron. And after that was... And then came a kingdom that had no end. And Nebuchadnezzar was shaken in his boots. Why? Because he had this dreadful knowledge that there was an after you. There's an after you. To every king and to every kingdom, remember... There's an and after this. To every tyrant, to every despot, there's an after you. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, no, no, mine is the kingdom that will never end. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm, I'm the end all be all. There's nothing coming after me. So he makes a statue, see, that's all gold. There'll, there'll be no kingdom after mine. Mine is the ultimate glory. It's about me. So he makes this image of all gold. The other thing that's very interesting is where he sets it up. He sets it up on the plain of Dura near the province of Babylon. Do you know the last time humans had a tower built on the plains just outside Babylon? Go way back to Genesis chapter 11 and the story. They built the Tower of Babel on the same spot, same location. And what was the goal of the Tower of Babel? Exactly the same as King Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold. It was to get all this glory for human beings and to be a unifying center for all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. That's why you have the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Nebuchadnezzar's going to undo the curse all by himself. He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to create Tower of Babel, only this time Tower of Babylon 2.0, and we're going to get it right. We've got better technology now. We're more advanced. History's moved on. Does any of this sound familiar? We can be our own saviors because we've got all the technology now to do it. Any of this sound familiar at all? That's what idols are. Idols are things that anyone or anything that promises to be a better savior than God. And that's what we have here. Just in case, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is no dummy. He knows nothing is going to unite his vast empire. He's conquered all these people, all different languages. Nothing would unite them like a common religion. And so let's get everybody together. And let's have this image, and then let's have the dedication of the image, and then we'll get everybody to bow down. It's, it's, it's interesting that later they call it, we won't worship your image or the gods you've set up. So apparently this wasn't an idol to one god, this was an idol to all the gods. Now, to me this is interesting. In Babylon, they conquered all these different people and they all had their own religion. And here was the deal in Babylon. They didn't care if you worshipped your god, you worship whatever you want. 
as long as you don't ever say that your God's the only God. See, as long as you don't ever say your God's the only true God. And so they would conquer the, where are you from? Oh, you're from Cana? Canaan? Okay, well, we've got Baal represented. Your God is Baal. He's up there. Where are you from? Well, we're from over here in uh, uh, Chaldea. You, you conquered us. Okay, your God is Marduk. Don't worry, Marduk's in there too. You can worship Baal and Marduk and all of them. And uh, where are y'all from? Well, we're the, you know, we're the Israelites and our God is Yahweh. Well, no problem. Yahweh's in there too. Yahweh, Marduk, Baal. Yeah, yeah, There's many ways to get the God. Well, that's going to be a problem for us. <laughs> See, we believe that our God is the only true God. Well, that's fine. You can believe whatever you want, but you need to really, in, in, in real life, in day-to-day life, you need to admit that all gods are going to be the same, right? That everybody's going to have the same. Uh, uh. Does this sound familiar? To be told... You can worship however you want. Just don't, you can believe whatever you want. Just don't ever let it impact your actual life. <laughs> don't let it affect your behavior day to day. Don't ever think that your God's the only true and living God. I mean, it sounds very familiar. It's a secularized society. And so here he's got this big image. And just in case you had second thoughts, just in case bowing down to an idol is against the rules in your religion, he's going to incentivize it. If you don't, you're going to burn in a fiery furnace. Whew. I tell you, church, I am so glad. Aren't you relieved? I am so glad that this story happened long ago and we no longer have idols today. Okay, so you know where I'm going. Well, obviously, you know, if we think of idols as these golden statues we bow down to, then yeah, I think we can all say safely say, well, we don't do that. I mean, I don't have a great fear. I don't. Maybe I should. You know, BJ, I don't. I don't have some great fear that you know youth are sneaking out past curfew. Yo, bro, come on. Why? What's up? Yo, I just got a new golden calf. <laughs> you come over, we'll sneak in a couple quick bows. You know, it's gonna be lit. Like I, I don't have that concern. Maybe I should, but I don't have that concern, right? And here's what I also know. Satan is uh, very uh, sneaky. He's been watching humans. He's like a a roaring lion. And why, you tell me, why would Satan try to get people to bow to physical idols? All he cares about is our idolatry. He doesn't care if they're physical idols or invisible idols. Why would he switch strategies? Why would he try to get you to bow to a physical idol if your heart is already bowing to an invisible one every day? Why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm convinced that that's what's going on in idolatry right now. Where we, are, we, we have these invisible idols and we bow to them, but because they're not physical and tangible, we think, well, uh, idolatry doesn't affect me. It affects all of us. So I thought it might be helpful to talk about what an invisible idol, what would an invisible idol, if we made an invisible idol, uh, if we wanted to examine it and talk about it in America today, what would it, what would it be? What, would, what, what are the idols in 2021 America. And I thought it might be helpful to, to talk about them and use these wooden stackable blocks that uh, I took uh, from my kids. Sorry. Daddy needs a sermon. Uh, so here we go. And I'll go through these quickly. You, don't, you, you can write them down or not. But the, 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 my thinking is I'm not going to get them all. I'm going to leave some out. This is just what I think a 2021 idol is made of. You, you know, you may say... I, 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 I thought you left out one, or, I, or, or this is the one that particularly convicted me. You could talk about that in, in Sunday school. But at the base of the idol, I would put, and I'll do them like 10 to 1 because there's 10 blocks. I'll do uh, pride. Pride. I think, I, think, I think pride is the real root. Pride is when God says he rules everything and he's the rightful king, but we don't want your kingship and we reject the ruling of God and we want to be our own gods. That's what God has kicked out of the garden, ultimately, pride. 
Number nine is self, very similar. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. But so often we don't do that. Do you you know people, it's like the whole universe has to revolve around them? That's because self has become an idol. Number eight, control. Control. Now what do I mean by control? How could control be an idol? Control is a good thing. And to some degree, you have God-given control over things in your life, right? He even told Adam and Eve, take dominion over the garden, uh, subdue it. And so it's good to have control. I mean, don't, don't drive home today and take your hands off the wheel and be like, no idol here. Like, that's terrible. Like, you're supposed to control. Uh, the idol is when you overstep your God-given areas of control. This would be, how do I, ex- examples of this. Uh, you might struggle with an idol of control when, like, do you ever meet people, they get so bent out of shape when something doesn't go their way. I mean, nobody likes to be inconvenienced, but so impossibly bent out of shape. Why? Because I know how this universe is supposed to be run and you all aren't getting with the program, right? Everything has to be just right. Why? I have to have that control over it. Because this one is difficult to diagnose over the years, uh, one diagnostic that I would suggest, if you struggle with the idol of control, one personality trait is that uh, you have a very hard time truly admitting you were wrong. It's very, very hard for somebody to tell you that you were wrong. And if right now, if you're sitting there like, no, I don't, like, bro, you, 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 I mean, proven. Number seven is significance. Significance. How could significance be an idol? Isn't, don't, doesn't God, yes, But significance becomes an idol when you will sin, you will break the commandments of God in order to get the right people to approve of you. And I think that this uh, shows up in many ways. One of the, um, one of the, uh, 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 I talk a lot about social media in these, uh, uh, in these messages, but I think there could be some idolatry of significance. Some of you, if you, uh, if you put out a post on social media and you don't get any likes or nobody, you know, notices or whatever, it's like you move on with your life. No big deal. Imagine being an eighth grader right now. And some of you are eighth graders. Imagine being you. Um, and you're so concerned about what everybody thinks of you. Imagine you put out a post and nothing, nobody, or you get, or, or, or you get a, a hurtful comment toward it. I'm telling you, this significance thing, um, you can say, I didn't get enough likes and I want a bunch of likes, but if it's a like button, why is it in the shape of a heart? I think we're after likes, but I wonder if we're really looking for love. And uh, I wish that we all outgrew that in the eighth grade, don't you? It's still an idol for many. Number six. Is comfort. Now, what do you mean comfort? I thought comfort's a good... Well, comfort becomes an idol when you are derailed to good service to God because you'll serve God as long as it doesn't interrupt your Saturday afternoon plans, right? Or, 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 or your, you know, I had this. This was mine. This was going to be my weekend. This was going to be my money. This was going to be my property. This is my time. And God says, wait, I own all this. And if it disrupts our comfort or a certain lifestyle we've been used to, uh, Satan derails us. Well, that means we've nudged God into second place. I'll serve you, God, right after I take care of this. See? Idol. Number five is beauty. I said, now wait a minute. How's beauty an idol? Beauty's a good gift for God. Well, now's a good time to talk about what I think an idol is. And, and, and beauty is a good gift from God. Just like most of these things, they're good things that have been sort of twisted into 
taking God's place. So beauty could become an idol when it turns into envy or an over-concern about beauty or lust. Well, that's when beauty is an idol. But in all these things, when it comes to idolatry, some people would say an idol is anything or anyone that you put above God. That's a pretty good definition. Somebody else might say it's anything or anyone that nudges God into second place. I like that definition a little better because it acknowledges most Christians don't want to reject God. They don't want God to be gone. They want him just runner up to whatever I'm after right now. See, they don't want nothing to do with God. They just want him runner up, you know, close, close second even. But here's my definition of idol. I think an idol is anyone or anything that you trust to save you more than God. Say it again. An idol is anyone or anything that you trust to save you more than God. And that's why we go after these things, like significance, and that's why we go after, well, the next one, like popularity. That's a good illustration. You struggle with the idol of popularity when you will be two different people based on the group of people you're with at the time. So you'll be like your church personality, then you'll be like, this group of friends, personality, right? What's happened? Popularity has become more important to you than the commands of God. Why? Because I know God says he can save me and I know he can take care of all this, but I sure just want to be liked and I want to be liked by this particular group of people at this time. And I just want to be liked so much by this. And it's there that my salvation lies. It's there that I'll be taken care of and I'll be okay. You see that? It's a search for salvation. Number three is money. Most people, when you think of idolatry, they think of money. I, make, I put money as one of the little ones because in my opinion, money is the symptom idol. It's not the root cause. The reason money and the, well, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Exactly. Be, because money gives us an illusion of control. It gives us an illusion of significance. It gives us an illusion of comfort. And so we search after money to weigh, as a way for self-salvation. Number two, I put diversions. You know, this is hobbies and sports and all that. And I mean, it's good and it's fine. But uh, it, it, if it takes over such a degree of your life, I mean, if you're a teenager right now, video games are fun. But if you emerge after three months from your parents' basement, you're like, the light, it burns. Like, come on. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And I picked video games so I wouldn't offend anybody college football. Number one <laughs> is pride. And you would say, pride, haven't we heard that before? Yes, it was here. Pride is, it's a rhetorical device known as repetition. And I have used it to great effect to drive home that uh, pride runs all through this idol. And this is what, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, it's no different. Nebuchadnezzar, you can hear Satan whisper. If you don't bow to this, who's going to save you? Listen carefully. Daniel 3, we look at it and we go, man, a blazing furnace? What would I do? Bow or burn? And we go, wow, that's such a dramatic I don't feel that every day. I don't, I don't literally feel the pressure that I'm going to be killed on the spot if I don't bow to an idol. you got to hear me. Daniel 3 is a picture in the physical of what you're facing every day in the spiritual. You got it? Daniel 3 is just a picture in the physical of what you're feeling every day. It's the same thing. If you don't bow, says Satan, you're going you're gonna to be burned. It's all going to be gone. It's the same temptation. Hey, uh, if you don't live for these idols, you're going to be left behind. Everybody else is going to be wealthy. You hear that? Hey, let me talk to you. If you're single right now, you hear, you hear, you hear Satan whisper? You hear the temptation? Listen, if you're, if you're a single person and you want to you wanna be married, I know like the preachers are going to say, don't lower your standards and only date somebody who's a Christian. 
But come on, if you do that, you're going to be single and everybody else is going to be having the big wedding. And you're going to be, right? Who's going to save you? Who's going to deliver you from my hand? If you don't sell out, hmm? Come on, every, look, everybody's, everybody's doing it. You tell a little lie. You cheat a little bit. If you don't live for money, everybody else is going to get ahead. You're going to be left behind. You understand? It's pressure, bow or burn. It's the same pressure. It's just pictured here in the physical, what is happening every day in the spiritual. And for a moment, you got to admit, it sure looks like the bad guys are winning, right? Look at the end of verse 7. Look at that. It sure seems for a moment all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold. It seems for a moment that the curse of Babel has been reversed. That this idol really does save. Look, it unites everybody. Just get on the program. Why do you want to be on the wrong side of history, Christian? Why do you want to be, come on, why, why do you, what this alien and stranger, just get on board. See? Sure appears everybody does. Well, not everybody. Look at verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Right? Well, verse 12, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You hear that? Uh, you, you hear that? They're accusing these guys of ingratitude. Nebuchadnezzar, they live by your hand. You set them up, and now they don't serve your gods or pay attention. Of course, these guys had their doctrine right. They're like, Nebuchadnezzar didn't set us up. God put us here. See? But the, from the world's perspective, you ingrates. He's, he, Nebuchadnezzar, set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Little tattletales. Who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So, you do what you want, but uh, burn, baby, burn, right? I mean, they're jealous. They're, well, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar has a real problem. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Oh, he's in a bind, y'all. Nebuchadnezzar has two real problems, and he, uh, he's got to figure this out. On the one hand, he has a reputation to maintain. He is a sociopathic tyrant. And so he has to let everybody know, if I say bow or burn and you don't bow, if you're going to defy me, you've got to burn. I have to. Re I, I have a reputation to uphold here, right? I can't have all this insubordination on my home team, no less. They're set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Ugh. So I must be punished. They have to burn. They have to die. On the other hand, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, I really, really, really don't want to kill these guys. Why? He's invested so much into them. And he's raised them up to a point where they, they lead Babylon. Right? But why does my best workers have to be insubordinate? Why is it that my best workers have to be the ones that, oh, they stand up for what's right? Ugh, right? I need these guys, so I can't kill them. On the other hand, I can't not kill them. Think, Neb, think. And that's when it hits him. You know what? Attention, everyone. Attention. I, crazy sociopathic Nebuchadnezzar, 
have realized the answer. It's all a big misunderstanding. That's all. It is. It's just a big misunderstanding. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have no problem bowing. It's just they didn't hear the music. That's all. They didn't, they didn't hear. So, a rare second chance. Verse 15. Now, when you hear, so you didn't hear it the first time, but when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready, fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. And then we can all go home with what we want. I get to go home with my reputation intact, and you get to go home. Period. <laughs> you get to remain not burned. So, if you're ready. But he adds, look at this. But if you do not, make no mistake, there will not be a third chance. If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Listen, this is what the idol wants to know. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's a great question. That's what the idol wants to know. Who's the real savior? Now, this, this comes upon, my, I think, my favorite verses in this passage. I, partly because, like I said last week about another passage, I don't know how much time elapsed between verse 15 and verse 16. We don't know. I mean, some people read the narrative and it's like 15, 16. Then what God, what's it going to be? Are you going to bow or are you going to burn? They didn't have to think about it, right? They just, there's no pause, no nothing. They walk right up to him in verse 16. Shadrach straightens his toga, you know. You know, like the old westerns. We're not going to bow. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. Woohoo! Roll, Shadrach. Like, the, okay, it is it is possible, uh, but these are three teenage boys that are scared to death, and they, they've come to the fight of their life. I imagine there was at least a, uh, well, I don't know, between verse fifteen and sixteen, at least there was a maybe an Israelite huddle. You know, at least a little uh, getting together. Uh, what are we going to do, Shad? I don't know, Mish. <laughs> What are we going to do? I don't know. I, you know, I'm scared. Me too. I, you know who would know what to do right now? Who? Daniel. I know, right? I was just thinking, for having the book named after him, he is conspicuously absent from our moment of great need. Where is Daniel? I don't know. He said something. He had a breakfast with a lion. I, I didn't, the point is, we've got to figure out what to do. I know. But I, we're going to die. This is it. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this either. Three weeks ago, we were minding our own business. We were the start in varsity for the Babylonian bombers. And now, here we are in the fight of our life. I didn't ask for this. It's not fair. I didn't change. My culture changed around me. It's not fair. I know it's not fair, but it's where we are. Well, what are we going to do? Listen, we, I know the first commandment is clear. We can't bow to that idol. That's the, literally the first commandment. But if we're dead, what good are we going to be to our people? Didn't God put us in this? Doesn't he know the plans he has for us, declares the Lord? Didn't he put us in this position so that we could help our people? What good are we to our people if we die? Well, what are you saying? Well, I don't know. Maybe we could like, maybe we could like fake bow and we'll put, we'll like cross our fingers and we'll be like, psych, not real, isn't happening, you know? It's like, we, we could do that. We could do that. And Nebuchadnezzar might not see it. And our friends might not see it. I know. I know. But God would... I know! I know! I know! God would see it. So what are we going to do? Look, I... Uh, I don't know. 
but I know I didn't ask for this, and I know I'm scared, and I know it sure looks like the alternative is death, but I, um, I was reading in my quiet time this morning, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, what'd you read? Well, um, you know how six chapters from now, um, <laughs> uh, there's this verse that tells us that Daniel and the exiles had access to the scriptures, including the prophets, yeah? Well, I was reading in Isaiah chapter 43. How'd you know to number the verses? Yeah, I, I numbered them. <laughs> this is getting so meta. Uh, and um, anyway, I was reading in what will one day be called Isaiah 43. And, uh, and there, it was, it was just when Nebuchadnezzar said it that it struck me. Nebuchadnezzar's question is, what God can deliver from my hand? But in Isaiah 43, 13, I read this morning where God says, I am the Lord, there is none other. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Same verse. I mean, same claim. It sure seems like our fight is not, it's not about us. It's about whose God can really save. And if we bow to this idol, there's a sense in which we can, quote, save our life. But it's really like we'll lose it. And if we lose our life, there's a sense in which we'll be perfectly fine in the arms of God. I would rather die connected to life than live connected to death. I've got to follow, the, I've got to respect and obey the first commandment, even if it kills me. And it might. All right. Well, all right. If we're going to do it, we're all going to do it together. None of you can be like, we're not going to bow, we're all going to die. And then, okay, okay, right, yeah, yeah. okay. Shadrach, you in? Yep. Meshach? Yep. Abednego? All right. All right. Israelites on three. One, two, three. <laughs> or something like that. And they, uh, and that's when verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is a word to every Christian. Uh, let me let you in on something. Why do you think I, I'm taking the whole church through First Peter and then through Daniel? Why do you think God's laid it on my heart so much to talk about being an alien and a stranger? What is it about exile, knowing that the culture is going to change and eventually you as a Christian are going to look more and more weird. You're going to look more and more different. You, you see, First Peter and Daniel, the point of these messages are simply this. It's my job to prepare us as God's people. Am I the only one who feels it? We've got to be more and more ready to live as strangers and aliens. And here's one of the first things you need to know about being an alien and a stranger. This is, if it hadn't happened already, this is going to happen. As you, as a child of God, start to live in a culture that grows increasingly secular, what's going to happen is this. You're going to start to feel attacked. And when you feel attacked, what are you going to do? You're going to start getting defensive. And you're going to be defensive about your faith. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go out to people and you're going to say, no, I think this. And then you're going, to, you're going to feel attacked and you're going to be defensive. According to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Christian, listen to me. Defensiveness is not a good look on you. And you don't need it. Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not... It says right there. Why did they not need to defend ourselves? Because their life was their answer. Their faithful witness, day in, day out, is all the defense that was needed. They didn't have to go and rant. They didn't have to go and hooting and hollering. Their life, their faithful witness. You don't have to be defensive. You just have to bear faithful witness. 
So we don't need to defend ourselves. The fact is, verse 17, if we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve, you asked who can save us, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And to answer your question, he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Many of you know the next verse. This is a statement of great faith. The God we serve is able to save us. So you want to know who can deliver? God can deliver. But verse 18, many of you know this, verse 18 sparkles with faith. But even if he does not, We want you to know. You better write it down now because we're just going to be a pile of charcoal. So you need to know. This needs to go out throughout the ages. O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And you'll never get us to bow. Because if we're dead, we can't bow then, can we? So that means we will never bow. Even if he doesn't. Even if we die. Why is this such an important response? Because it is the perfect balance of faith. Watch this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the revealed will of God. Commandment one, don't bow to idols. They did not know about the circumstantial will of God. What will happen to us? So they, 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 they knew the power of God, but they also guarded the freedom of God. God may not choose to save us. They were sure of God's ability, but they weren't sure exactly of his purpose. Oh, what a beautiful picture of faith. Unsure of the circumstances, but sure of the revealed will. The revealed will is, you shall have no other gods before me. The circumstantial will is, what will happen to me? Listen, God is concerned you will do your duty. Leave the circumstances of what happens to him. We do just the opposite. We focus so much on what the circumstances are going to be that we forget the duty. Our job is to follow the revealed will of God. The circumstances will be taken care of by God. So even if he doesn't save us, we trust, we trust. And we're going to follow what we know when we can't necessarily understand all the circumstances. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar was, you you can imagine, blatant open defiance. There's no excusing it this time. There's no, oh, you didn't hear the music. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times Hotter than usual. I had never noticed this before this week. He ordered the furnace heated seven times harder than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. This is what I mean by the word of God always reveals new things. He says, heat that furnace seven times. They're like, "Um, Neb, one time is enough to kill him. Neb's like, I don't want him dead. I want him dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, right? Seven times. And not just any soldiers, the strongest soldiers in the army. I never noticed this. But you see, uh, what's the deal about the seven times hotter than usual? And what's the deal about the strongest soldiers in the army? If, if, if you know the end of the story, so if you don't, sorry, spoiler alert, they get delivered. Um, and if you know the end of that story, then the heating of the furnace seven times hotter than usual only gives God seven times more glory. Because he didn't just save him from a regular furnace. He saved him from a seven times hotter furnace. He didn't just save him from the little old soldiers. He saved him from the strongest soldiers in the army. What's the point? That even Satan's most wicked schemes are all orchestrated by God to redound to even more and more glory to God. I didn't think of that on my own. I got that from a commentary written 500 years ago. And here's what he wrote. Seven times hotter than usual has been orchestrated by God. So Satan can cast no doubt on the miracle of God. And this is what he wrote. Oh, how God is accustomed to frustrate the impious. I thought it was great. 
And the more the impious are opposing his glory, the more he makes his honor conspicuous. Nebuchadnezzar intended to strike terror in the mind of all the Jews. And yet he got nothing else for his plans than a clearer illustration of God's power and grace. He tried to heat the furnace seven times hotter to scare everybody. Now we know God, however strong we thought God was, now he's seven times stronger. So these men, right? Verse 21. So they got the strongest soldier army. They're tied up. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown. That's always struck me as odd. In the height of this narrative, they're fighting for their life and they're screaming. Nice trousers. I know. Nice turban, right? Shadrach's ready for a fun day. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, random fashion details, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here again, these little details are incredible to me. The strongest soldiers in the army, apparently, the king's command, I want them killed now, executed now. Well, king, we're not really prepared for that. And apparently, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is an act of violence. They're fighting, they're screaming, and it took these strong soldiers because, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been eating the veggies and water. You know, they they were strong. And they're fighting them off. The flames were so hot because of the seven times hotter than usual. I had never thought about this. The strongest soldiers in the army must have asphyxiated from the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell in. Which makes me think there was a tussle. They were fighting. They fall in and the strongest soldiers in the army die. Now, that little detail. Ponder. The strongest soldiers in the army had just bowed with everybody else to this idol. And the king's promise was, if you bow to the idol, you'll get to stay alive. And if you don't bow to the idol, you'll be burned in the flame. And yet, look, look, the guys who just bowed to the idol got burned up in the flame. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who didn't bow, they're just fine. What's my point? God can protect his people better in a blazing furnace than Satan can protect his people in the open air. You are safer in the will of God in a blazing furnace then you are outside of the will of God anywhere else. Isn't that incredible? Well, these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Now, I, I don't look, I don't know when you learned this story. I don't know when you read this story. For me, it was taught to me as a child. Did some of you learn this as a, as a child? I, I have never, in all the years I've been preaching on this and studying about this and, and thinking about Daniel 3, I've never seen what I would consider an accurate depiction in any of the children's books about how this went down. <laughs> You know, you can't tell, and all, you know, I grew up, I thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked boldly into that furnace, you know, <laughs> onward Christian soldier, you know, no fear, but that doesn't explain, why would you take the strongest soldiers, why would you have to tie them up, and why did they fall in, because this was an act of violence, these are teenager boys fighting for their life, right, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're punching, and there's blood, and it's, you're right, and then they're being, and the guys that are throwing them in are, the guys that are throwing them in are, are dying and they're falling and they're screaming. This is an act of violence. Now, who on earth, by the way, I have no idea who on earth decided this would be a wonderful story for children. This is beyond me. You hear that? You hear that, kids? Yeah. Yeah, that's the screams of people being burned alive. Yeah. yeah. What's that smell? That's burning human flesh. Yeah. Okay. Craft time, you know, and you're like, craft time? Not a children's story. <clears throat> An act of vicious violence. 
And then these three men screaming, fighting for their life. They're in the furnace. And then what happens? Well, we're burning alive. They can't believe it. We're burning alive. We're burning alive. We're on fire. We're burning alive. When suddenly they realize we're, oddly, not burning, right? And so they look around and think, well, are we dead? Well, no. Are we in heaven? Awfully hot and flamey to be heaven, right? I think God saved us. I think God saved us. Shadrach, high five. Meshach, high five. Abednego, high five. New guy, high five. What? <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, uh, weren't there just three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, it's the kind of thing you don't forget. <laughs> Certainly, O king. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and a fourth looks like a son of the gods pagan Nebuchadnezzar didn't have the theology for this. Was it an angel of God? Was it, was it Jesus Christ himself pre-incarnate? We don't know. It doesn't matter. The point of that is God saved him. And look at this. I'd never seen this before. Look at this exquisite detail. It's the only thing burned up in the fire. The only thing that gets burned up in the fire. They're walking around unharmed and unbound. The only thing that's destroyed in the fire God put you through are the ropes that have kept you bound. Only thing destroyed in the fire. So that you have freedom in the fire. Walking around. I'd have loved to have seen that. (laughs) You're telling Nebuchadnezzar, come on in. Well, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach! Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around. What was the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors? What were they supposed to do? They were there to crowd around the image and give glory to Nebuchadnezzar. Now what are they doing? The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around the miracle of God. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed. Uh, Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on the clothes. They weren't random fashion details thrown in there. They're there for a point. They're showing you that when God saves you, he saves to the uttermost. Couldn't even smell smoke on their clothes. No smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Pagan king brought to his knees in worship of the true and living God. Therefore, I decree, and now he's back to his old ways, that the people of any nation or language who say anything as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Okay, like sanctification is a process, you know. He's not going to get it right away. (laughs) But he gets this right. For no other God can save in this way. A pagan king of a secular society, a pagan leader in a secular society is brought to his knees and admits there's no other God but the true and living God. Now, how did that happen? It didn't happen by congressional action. It didn't happen by political action. It happened because three Israelite teenagers refused to bow to the idols of their day. Christian, do you see my point? You bear faithful witness. 
The point of Daniel 3 for us today is this. The first commandment must be obeyed and respected even if it kills us and it might. Any questions? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It is to be obeyed and respected even if it kills us and believed. And it might. But you don't bow to idols. Even if it's the dedication of the image, even if the ribbon is being cut on this thing and everybody who's at, man, the satraps are going to be there. The prefects, the magistrates, the judges, all the officials are going to be there, man. I know there's this blazing furnace thing, but who wants to be left out anyway? This is the thing. This is what everybody's doing. Come on, everybody's doing it. No. Good. No. No. Why? You don't, you don't need to bow to these idols. If I'm right, if an idol is something that's promising to save you, then the whole point of this story is you have a savior. You don't need these idols. Now, I, if you're like me, you hear, don't bow to idols, don't be an idolater this week. Obviously, the challenge portion of this is clear. Uh, Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response. I mean, obviously, the, the advice part is clear. Don't bow to idols. But goodness, if you're, if you're like me and you hear all this, you, I mean, I, I, I myself have been convicted. And some of you would say one of those idols was more convicting than the other. If you're like me, I was convicted by all... T- I, I, you, know, you ever hear a preacher say, man, you stepped on my toes this morning. I stepped on, I had 10 idols, one for each toe. I stepped all over. I I struggled with all these. And and what if? What if you would say, honestly, the thing about me, Tom, I'm sitting here today. I can tell you right now. I can tell you right now, I'd have been on my face bowing when I should have been standing up. Is there any word for me? Is there any hope for me? Yeah. Your hope and mine is this thing called grace. It's that, it's that fourth man in the fire. That's your hope right there. Who's that fourth man in the fire? Where he, where he come from? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that. You know, that fourth man in the fire, that, that, that Jesus showing up for him that day, I tell you, the fourth man in the fire always knows where to find his people. And he promises in Isaiah 43 that when you walk through the fire, when you walk, when you walk through that, you won't be burned. For I will be with you. I am your God. I have redeemed you. And that fourth man in the fire has found you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you went through a fiery trial, the fourth man found you. He, the fourth man always knows where to find his people. He found some of you in a hospital waiting room, waiting for some results. You thought you were all alone. There was that fourth man in the fire. For some of you, he found you when you were off to college and you thought you were all alone and you had made an absolute mess of something. And you thought, how am I ever going to be forgiven for this? And there was that fourth man in the fire. For some of you, he found you when you were flat on your back in an ICU bed. And there was that fourth man in the fire. Some of you, he found you in a funeral parlor. And on the drive from that funeral parlor, after every all family members had left, and you went back into an empty home, Jesus of Nazareth to bow to the kings and kingdoms of his day and he wouldn't do it. 
And so they took the strongest soldiers in that pagan army to bind our Lord Jesus. You remember, they beat his back, they slapped him, they whipped him, they they mocked him and spat upon him. But he wouldn't bow. And you know, they put him in those robes and trousers and other clothes. Didn't they take our Lord Jesus? Didn't they put a robe and put it on his back as he was headed to his death? Isn't that true? But there's one, of course, one enormous difference. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to their moment of death, at the last minute, there was a deliverance, and they were spared. But when the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, went to his death, he stretched out his arms and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all he heard back was the wrath of God, and it fell upon him. He let himself be lost so that he could always find you. How deep the Father's love for you and for me. He loved you that much. He allowed himself to be cut off so that his people would never walk alone in the fire. We can't bow to idols. We've we got to prepare.